Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 13 of the podcast, the topic is Get Manufacturing Superpowers. Our guest is Dave Evans, CEO and co-founder of Fictiv. In this conversation, we talk about building hardware at the speed of software. How do you define manufacturing superpowers? Why are such superpowers possible and relevant now? We discuss specific Industry 4.0 technologies, the emerging ecosystem of players in digital manufacturing, from e-machine shop and 3D print platforms to manufacturing apps and manufacturing as a service. We discuss government engagement, buy America, trade wars, and where the US positioning falls short, and we discuss the next decade. Augmented is a podcast for leaders, hosted by futurist Trun Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip.co, a manufacturing app platform, and associated with MFG Works, the manufacturing upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast. Dave, how are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, look, uh, it's exciting to have you. You're you're a man with many accolades. Um, Stanford, Forbes, uh, Magazine, 30 Under 30, lots of exciting things have happened to you. Yeah. But I'm here not to just uh, talk about those accolades. I want to figure out what drives them. Tell me a little bit about how you how you got to manufacturing from from uh, Stanford and uh, you know entrepreneurial ventures. Yeah, you know, I've always had a passion for building things. I think is the core DNA for myself. And so, coming into to Stanford, I think it was a natural that I would study mechanical engineering, focusing on mechatronics, so mechanical electrical systems. Um, I think it's a fascination for the way things work in the world and a high curiosity uh, for understanding the underpinnings of any system. That system can be business. It can be a robotic system. It could be even looking at a financial spreadsheet now as a, you know, as a CEO and a founder. Um, but just a, a real fascination for how things are, are, are made, built, uh, and put together. Um, and so, you know, coming coming out of school, I you know did a couple startups out of school, but really cut my teeth in the automotive industry. So at Ford Motors, uh, building dashboards, so infotainment systems, um, and essentially what we were trying to do was put this thing right, put smartphones into cars, um, and you have a a pretty big problem there where vehicles four to six years to develop, um, but you're going to get a new phone every six to eight months. You know, your development cycles, release cycles are much faster. So we would actually get 12 iterations of consumer goods in the time it took to launch one, one vehicle platform. Um, you know, so a lot, of, uh, a lot of those needs are how do you match these two time periods together of you know, this automotive time period of four to six years, this consumer time period of you know, six to eight months. Um, and again, that fascination just for how things are made. I think that was my, my first foray into the industrial world of engineering and, and how systems are built. And a lot of curiosity comes back to those, uh, those four days. Well, the other thing you told me, Dave, was building hardware at the speed of software is kind of one of your um, sayings. Yeah. And that sounds, you know, it sounds fascinating, but it goes back to what you're saying that they are also two different cycles. So not only are we dealing here with kind of industry cycles, but we're dealing with hardware and software combined 
very often in manufacturing. Yeah. So that is a, an additional complexity. How how do you account for that? Yeah, I mean, you know, being trained as an engineer in the valley, in Silicon Valley, you are surrounding yourself with the the Facebooks, the Googles, the, you know, Apple is hardware, yes, but is still software. And so, you know, the, the classic saying is software is eating the world. And so I think coming out of school for me, it was, well, you can't let the software folks have all the fun. Like, there's no way that that's where all the fun is going to be. We live in a physical world. I love to tease my my software engineering colleagues and friends. I'm like, you know, you wouldn't have a profession if it wasn't for me. How would you type on your keyboard? Where where would your compute happen? You know, how do you think AWS runs their server racks? you got a bunch of smart mechies around that are building racks. And so, you know, it was really this passion, I think, to say, how can you help physical goods, so hardware, physical products move at the speed of software. And that if you could unlock innovation in the physical world, like say the app store or different languages like Go or JavaScript or, or you know, you, you pick it has unlocked software, we actually should see more creation in the world. And so if you looked at the horizon and you said, cool, in a decade, we're going to have autonomous vehicles. We're going to go to Mars. We're going to land rockets back down on a on a you know five foot uh, uh, target after going up into space. We're going to you know do surgical robotics. If you want to realize all of that innovation, like truly allow it to happen, you actually re- need to rethink how products are made. There's no way we're going to take the infrastructure from 1980 uh, and build autonomous rockets that land on a on a five foot uh, grid coming back down. You have to rethink that infrastructure. And so this idea of hardware at the speed of software is a mantra of is development cycles moving fast enough? Are we innovating enough in the physical world, the development of the physical world that we are in the software world? And um, that's be, become a passion of mine uh, professionally. Well, I can I can understand that because, you know, at the outset, I guess the fascination of all these software startups is, I mean, surely you must have envied your your friends in software sometimes when they were sort of, yeah, we just were hacking over the weekend and came up with something crazy. It's not quite that easy with physical yeah. things, is it? it? I mean, they just because the complexity is greater. Well, I, I the think constraints, I guess, not the complexity. Yeah, I mean, the constraints are physics, right? And so even in, in computing... You know, so in software, you still have constraints that are physics as well. You have pure compute power that allows you to do it. And so if you think about simulation as an example, we've seen the explosion of aerospace primarily because of simulation, because of software that I can simulate. Um, you know, there's this company boom that is building, you know, supersonic air travel again, which we didn't see from the Concorde. So how is it that we did the Concorde before compute was really a thing, you know, 60s? Same thing, we went to the moon before we had really strong compute power, but now the barriers are so much lower. What, a 120-person company, a startup, can go build a supersonic plane? That's incredible. I think it's because of compute. And so I think that there's the misnomer in the physical world that people say hardware is hard. That like, oh, it's just, well, it's just, it's a given it's going to move slower. And I kind of say BS to that. Like, you know, it's like anything else. It is a problem that engineers need to break down into concrete steps and we need to tackle it. And so if you look at Fictive, 
we didn't reinvent how products are made. I'm not reinventing a five-axis machine, a, a 3D printer, these. What I'm doing is I'm removing latency. I'm removing downtime from the cycle. And that takes me from, you know, companies that spend nine months to get a product made that I can do in a couple of weeks because I removed a latency. Um, and I think there's so, if you start focusing on any problem and physical, you know, hardware and manufacturing is a great one, smart people will break it down to concrete steps and you can see real, you know, step functions of innovation happen as a result. And why do you think this uh, step function is particularly relevant now? You, you and I have started talking about kind of manufacturing superpowers mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and wouldn't it be nice to have those, right? And, and, and arguably, you know, you and others are starting to create them. But why is that particularly important now, do you feel? Like wh wh why, what's driving this Im imminent need for, for those powers? I think there are some major existential crises that are both to the human race, but also to, you know, uh, uh, our societies at large. You can look at sustainability as one of them. You can look at um, diversity and inclusion. You can look at, you know, uh, vehicle safety as one. And so then you start saying, okay, well, how are you going to solve these big problems? Well, if you want to look at sustainability, we have to fundamentally change where our power sources come from. And so, okay, you start breaking this problem down and all of a sudden you start getting to small, you know, atomic things that we can work on, which is let's remove fossil fuel. Okay, well, how do we do that? How do you make green, um, green jet fuel as an example of something we need to do? It comes back to the physical world. It comes back to manufacturing. Um, and you can say the same thing's true that if, uh, you know, even if you want to look at societal issues of, of diversity and inclusion of, of, you know, BLM that we just saw, you know, take the forefront in, in 2020. These are issues that if we focus on this concept of superpowers of literally giving people that is a, a stage or a platform to be larger than themselves. That's what a superpower is, right? It's, it's Superman going into uh, that phone booth and he changes and he's just, you know, uh, uh, he's just a man, but then he comes out as a superhero I think that if we can leverage technology, we can leverage software, um, education, community, podcasts, any of these things to help up-level other voices, we can solve a lot of amazing things. And so I love that in the last decade, you know, we started Fictive almost 10 years ago, we have seen more ambitious entrepreneurs want to tackle the problem of the physical world. Um, and that is incredibly exciting. Uh, that we can start to tackle and chip away uh, at innovation here to solve some some really large fundamental issues. Bring me a little because you know you're not the first to say that there needs to be better process, better quality in manufacturing. In fact, mm -hmm. I think it's a bit of a uh, pet peeve of yours to to think about these frameworks out there. And I'm just going to list some of them, and you can yeah. add to this. Like there's this long history of mostly consulting based frameworks, right? You know from Six Sigma to like uh, Agile, obviously Kaizen, Gemba, total quality management. If you go, you know, back to that acronym, and and a bunch of others, and Lean, of course. Mm -hmm. What is your thinking about those frameworks and the extent to which they are enough today, and you know the extent to which they actually are contributing to speeding up these superpowers? 
Well, I think that for anyone that's in manufacturing, we tend to be process people. Um, you love manufacturing because we love process. It starts at a young age of playing with Legos and following instructions to put blocks together and do this. And it goes to the adult version of Lego, which is Gemba, you know, which is a, a principle of basically walk the line, walk the factory uh, from a, a lean a lean. And so, you know, Toyota in in recent times is a, you know, one of the, I think the the grandfathers of a lot of these frameworks of because there's so much complexity in putting a mass manufactured product, which is a vehicle, you know, uh, uh, to play. I always say that, you know, if you want to focus on high volume, you go into consumer goods like an iPhone or, or, you know, an Echo, but your bar is really low. If you mess it up, someone just buys a new one. But automotive is the true engineering challenge because you are, are doing a complex uh, product that touches millions of people that will save lives and, you know, folks will, will die. And so the stakes are actually the highest, I think, in automotive. So I think these frameworks that you mentioned, you know, are put in place to ensure safety, ensure quality, um, but primarily what they've been is frameworks that are offline. We're talking about manufacturing cells of how do I move it from here to here to here. Um, but the software portion of that has been quite low. Really, the software in the manufacturing world are three-letter acronyms, PDM, CAD, CAM, ERPs, MESs, PDMs. I mean, it's it's like we've decided to label every SQL database and then say, look, I drove some innovation. I'm like, no, it's a SQL database. You organize my data. That doesn't help remove things. And so um, obviously there's value add of ERPs and MESs and, and, and PLMs. Um, but I think that there's a lot more we can do here when you start marrying the processes of take a, a, a Gemba methodology or, or a lean principle and you start to do that coupling software with, with, uh, with people. So you get to unlock a lot of things as a result. Can you tell me a little bit about how you see the digital ecosystem in manufacturing now playing out? So there's um, kind of the e-machine shop and yep. basically 3D printing platforms, but there's m many, many other types of activities going on. How, how do you see this landscape? Just paint this landscape a little bit. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Um, if you look at the digital ecosystem, I believe there's a lot of folks trying to figure out where do I remove or add efficiencies in the workflow of product development. And so, you know, you can take a company like Mark Forged, and they're going to say, I can add efficiencies by growing a metal additive part rather than casting it and having to machine it. That's an efficiency. You know, you can take a company like Tulip that says, uh, can I apply IoT so I'm collecting data in real time on an assembly line to help, you know, increase my yield or drive better throughput and efficiency or actually find defects before it happens. Um, you can take fictive, which is we find machines or factories which are idle. We allow people to gain access to these idle machines on a global scale, um, and that's helping supply chain. All these things are digital strategies to help improve the, the ecosystem of manufacturing, and we need more of them. Like the, the thing I would call out is we need more folks focusing on this problem if we want to solve some of those challenges that I, I mentioned beforehand. 
Um, so and how do we do that, that, Dave? How do we get more people involved? So the learning journey in manufacturing traditionally, you know, has had its own complexity, but it has led to a fairly, you know, static type of workforce. And there's not enough, uh, arguably, there are a lot of studies out there about yeah. this. Yeah. Both at the kind of the high end and also in terms of volume workers, how do you train for the skills needed in this new landscape? And uh, you know, what is your advice to kind of becoming an adequate and fully functioning manufacturing worker these days? Whether you are ambition, you know, your ambition is high up in in management, or you just simply want to have an exciting job on, on the shop floor, and that's what excites you. Yeah, not not to be trite, but I think the first thing we need to do is make manufacturing sexy. Like you need to make it attractive. There still is this idea or this misnomer that I'm going to go into manufacturing and it's like grease under my fingernails and it's my father's job or it's my grandfather's job. And that the, the perception of manufacturing is one of non-innovative manual work where I'm like cranking on a wrench. And first off, I, I love cranking on a wrench, so I don't want that to be perceived as a bad thing. I'm a, I'm a total tuner, and I, I love working on cars and motorcycles. But I, I think that there's a perception of we need the best and brightest minds to look at the manufacturing space and be like, that's something I want to do. I want to spend my profession on this. Um, and so, you know, when we think about the folks that join Fictive, and I, I think we have some of the brightest minds in the, in not just the manufacturing world, but in the, the technology world, it's because folks see, if I come to Fictive, I get to work on autonomous cars. I get to send rovers to Mars. I get to build surgical robotics that's going to, you know, I had an appendectomy a couple of years ago, and my incision was that big because of surgical robotics. And it's just like, it's incredible versus an appendectomy used to cut my entire stomach open. I walked out of the hospital the same day of my surgery. You, you get to be a part of people that drive that innovation. And so in a lot of ways, I actually think it's a really easy sell, Tron, because I get to tell folks in technology of, hey, do you want to go build Clubhouse? Okay, Clubhouse is the next thing that's exploding. It's the next Twitter. It's all these things. Do you want to build Clubhouse or do you want to build surgical robots? I mean, anyone in technology, I hope, says like surgical robots is way cooler than building the next social media platform. Um, but I think that we we don't describe it in that way. So I think changing the the lens or perspective on the impact you can have to, to human uh, to the human existence um, is something we need to reshape. And I, I think that is what uh, Mark Ford is doing. It is what Tulip's doing. It is what Fictive's doing. Um, I think ooh. you're right that it's about changing the success stories, right? Because uh, I think especially in manufacturing, you sort of think, well, you have to be a Ford. Uh, and even that, you know, hasn't been so cool lately. But, you know, you have to be of that size to to have some impact. But but arguably, that's not true. You're saying there's a new generation of of hybrid digital hardware software players out there that are going to make this. I mean, you have this faith. They're going to make this eventually we are going to make this cool again. I was chatting with um, one of our customers and, you know, he's a, he's at SpaceX and this was just on the weekend. He's been there five years. And I said, why are you still at SpaceX? You know, five years, he's in his, you know, probably in his thirties. He's like, well, when I joined SpaceX, the average age was 28. 
And I was like, oh my God. So the people that are building rockets that are going up and landing themselves, 28 years old is the average age. He's like, yeah. He's like, what do you think the average age of SpaceX is today? I'm like, I don't know. You guys must have matured. You get, you have a whole bunch. He's like, no, it's 32. It's just the same group of people four years later. And he's like, we've all stayed there because you see the success that uh, this guy Reed, that Reed had. Um, and it's incredible. And, and I think it's because they see the impact of of their work. And so I think if you can show success stories like that, that even, you know, for Ford is a, is a great example. I cut my teeth and started my career there, but the innovation, look what Tesla's done. Look what Lucid is doing. Look at Neo, look at Rivian. I mean, the explosion in the electrification of vehicles with autonomous tied in. So you have software is like, it's one of the coolest products to work on. I think for any, any new graduate, um, but it's because we've made them, you know, the, the, the stories that they are. And I think that is manufacturing. Um, and so back to your original question of this digital ecosystem, if we can get the smartest minds to be thinking about this, um, I think we'll see a lot of innovation unlocked in the next decade. Thinking about the smartest minds, Dave, what are some of the challenges within the field right now, either to consolidate these startup wins into industry kind of best practices or even just government engagement. I know that you have engaged with some opinions about the wisdom of, of various government policies. How does, how does this complexity play into the market and, and yeah. what do you think some of the big challenges are there? Yeah, I think that when you're talking about manufacturing, the the size, the TAM, the total addressable market, it's massive. Like it, it's actually hard to fathom. If you if you look at at the the manufacturing, it's the twelfth largest economy in the world. So it's like countries, you know, it's like US and China, and it's like number 12 is manufacturing. So the GDP is huge. So in order, you know, to to tackle this, so what are the challenges? You're not going to just tackle it with a private sector. So with innovation, with technology, say venture capital, it has to be this combination of private and public. Um, and everybody has a role to play in this. You know, I think the private sector can help drive innovation. It can help drive efficiencies, awareness, um, these sorts of things. The, the public sector can focus on policy, you know, focus on on tax law on on infrastructure that allows ecosystems to thrive uh and you know frankly if you look just purely at the 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 public space the policies are the same it's like it doesn't matter what administration is in and whether you're red or blue or where you sit you know it's still the same buy america strategy it's a it's a demand focused if we're just looking at the u.s and i think that's a real big challenge i think um, you'll hear me talk a lot about this, but the U.S. Uh, the U.S. ecosystem and infrastructure for manufacturing is fabulous. It's phenomenal, but access is low and innovation hasn't changed. And so, one of those large challenges to your your original question is how can we improve the American ecosystem, both in terms of access as well as innovation or differentiation of that? I think that's a huge. Uh, problem that that should be tackled in the next the next decade, but is that a message uh, not just for consumers, or do consumers also need to be aware? Because Buy American uh, or Buy America, yeah, 
is, I guess, a message to consumers, but it also, it also, I guess, shapes the way that the government thinks about manufacturing as a, as a, as a place where the consumer sort of has to do their duty and, and, and buy, buy American. But as you pointed out, buying American, if the American product isn't the leading uh, edge, that is counterproductive long term. Yeah. I don't think any amount of Buy America strategy is going to truly make a dent in in the ecosystem. And so in order for any company that's building a physical product today has a global footprint. They have the ability to make, manufacture, and distribute anywhere in the world. And so if that is the case, then you need to look at what is available in North America. So in let's just say in the US versus what's available globally. And if you're not competitive from a cost standpoint, from a technology standpoint, from a capabilities, you're, you're not going to win there. And so then you just, no amount of putting a flag on a package is going to drive, you know, a, a stair step function of American manufacturing revitalization. We need to focus I believe on the supply side of the ecosystem rather than the demand side of the ecosystem to say, how is it more cost effective, more innovative? And we have technology and capabilities here that nowhere else in the world does. And if, if that is where we focus our policies and our dollar, we will create a thriving uh, uh, ecosystem that allows this to happen. You know, just just last point on this topic, Shenzhen, which is the, you know, the heart of all electronic manufacturing in China, 30 years ago was a fishing village. Like most people don't know this or they care not to look into it. But 30 years ago, maybe at 35 now, it literally was a port and a fishing village. Today you walk into it, skyscrapers, it's the most modern city you've ever been in. And every piece of consumer electronics comes from that, that, that Pearl River Delta area. And so in the matter of a few decades, you, you saw infrastructure ecosystem change, and, and we can do that too here. Well, I happen to like fishing villages, so, <laughs> so I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little un, not sure what to, what to make of that. But on the other hand, I, I get your point. Like how many fishing villages in, in Maine or in Oregon have turned into skyscrapers over the last 30 years in America, or you can take Europe, you could take any, any continent really. Yeah. Um, so if we look to the future then Dave what are some of the uh, what are some of the things you expect to happen with digital what are some of the more invisible changes that are now already preparing themselves through this digital ecosystem and 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 in industry wide mm-hmm. you know when when will the these innovative changes truly percolate to your customers so that they can enact you know, really massive change? Or, or do you think that these digital players have to mature themselves and become the new Facebooks, uh, you know, of hardware and manufacturing no. until these changes start to happen? So in other words, you know, can Detroit uh, absorb this or does it have to come native? Yeah, I think that the first thing that's important is that the solutions exist in the ecosystem. So it's much more around adoption than I would say that, like, you know, we need to see more innovation. Innovation needs to continue to grow. We need to see investment in the space. You know, we need to see solutions. But we need to get out of pilot 
purgatory hell where everyone is piloting all these digital solutions say, no, we are going to put an investment in a bet and we are going to drive a digital supply chain solution, which is fictive. We are going to take our assembly line, which is offline, running on clipboards and paper. I'm going to put Tulip in. I'm not going to do a pilot. I'm going to put 10 million bucks and we're going to redo this full factory. That needs to happen. Um, but if you, if you zoom out and say, well, what's going to happen in the next decade. I think if you asked me that same question at the end of 2018, I'd have a very longer time horizon uh, for when this would happen. But what has happened in the last two years is a, a trade war between two of the largest nations in the world, US and China, followed directly by a global pandemic that shut down supply chain. The result of this is you took supply chain issues, specifically digitization in this space, and it was a functional issue. This was an issue that, you know, a VP of operations or global supply chain was grappling with. It went from a functional level issue, uh, then the trade war happened and it became a C-level issue. Your CEO, your CFO, COO, everyone's looking at like, we, we have too much risk in the whole business. How do I move that? You then put a pandemic on top of that and it gets to boardrooms. Boardrooms are saying, how are we going to survive with our supply chain just annihilated? And everyone's asking the question of how can digital put resiliency into my supply chain and add true agility? And so as a result, I think we'll see more adoption and innovation in the next 12, 24 months, so one to two years, that originally was going to take place in, in 10 years. And so the the call to arms, I would say to those leaders is don't do a pilot, jump, like don't put a toe in the water, go jump in the water. And that these solutions are robust. They, they have been proven. Um, it's much more around adoption. And that's what we need to see. Why do we need an external event like a pandemic to to realize this? And I'm, I guess I'm getting just uh, you know towards the end here to think yeah. about the governance mechanisms around innovation and the motivations in, in you know among various players to actually move faster. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe I'm an imp- impatient person, but I, I I think it's exciting to see when industries that are important like manufacturing when they do actually embrace change. Yeah, is there anything but the pandemic that could have caused this, or do you actually think? The maturity was sort of there in in almost every other industry, so that it was just a question of when this sort of drastic shift was going to happen towards digital. I think it's definitely a question of when. I think that um, listen, folks that are in, I said this already before, folks that are in manufacturing or supply chain are planners. Like that is the the DNA, and so I take a long year, ten year horizon, and I say, here are the here are the things that we're going to work on. Bop, 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 bop. Don't mess up my plan. Like I'm an assembly line. I want to I want to walk the line on this. And so what the pandemic and the trade war did is it shook the whole tree. Those plans is like throw them out the window. I need it done in 10x less, you know, a tenth of the time and for you know a tenth the cost. Um, and so because the ecosystem was ripe, because it was all these solutions that were out there, I do think it was the perfect storm in a lot of ways. So, um, in, you know, uh, you can never plan for these things, but you can be prepared. And so in the case of fictive, I'd say, yes, we were in the right place at the right time, but we had a mature product in a space that was incredibly old and archaic. And we were able to apply technology and business processes to solve critical problems, you know, during the pandemic. 
All right. Any any last words on on these manufacturing superpowers? You're you know you're advising a lot of people as part of your everyday client job. But if you're sort of want to give a, a, an advice into the ether, w- what is the first step as an individual or as an organization towards really getting manufacturing superpowers? Yeah, I think everything starts with curiosity. That would be the first thing. Is you're not going to gain superpowers if you're not curious. So. If you're a curious individual, a curious organization, you will find solutions to your hardest problems. And then the second thing I would say is that um, think about what manufacturing enables. Think about the the Teslas, the SpaceXs, the Boom Aerospaces, the uh, Oris Robotics. You know, like all of this innovation that is just incredible technology that's literally changing the world around us. Um, and that if that doesn't excite you, um, I don't know what will, but hopefully it does. And, and join, you know, join forces to go make real change there. And uh, if we focus our superpowers on that, you know, we can solve sustainability. We can solve diversity and inclusion. We can we can solve, you know, renewable energy. Big big existential things that I think are critical for us to to make progress on in the next ten years. Well, you certainly have inspired me. I'm going to go check with my 12-year-old who's playing Fortnite to see if he's also equally excited because I think we need that generation on board for sure. Fair enough. At least get him on uh, Minecraft so he's building something rather than just killing people on Fortnite. So uh, And Legos, physical products. Um, but that, that'd be great. Hey, John, yeah, let's you. not get me started on Legos. I have a whole room on the side here and uh, you know, I, I still haven't stopped playing Legos. It's, I get a lot of flack from my kids about that, but uh, oh, I guess it's awesome. fun. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Yeah, I appreciate it. Take care. You have just listened to episode 13 of the Augmented Podcast with host Thron Arne Unheim. The topic was Get Manufacturing Superpowers. Our guest was Dave Evans, CEO and co-founder of Fictive. In this conversation, we talked about building hardware at the speed of software. And how do you define manufacturing superpowers? And why are such superpowers possible and relevant now? We discuss specific Industry 4.0 technologies, the emerging ecosystem of players in digital manufacturing, from e-machine shop and 3D print platforms to manufacturing apps and manufacturing as a service. We discuss government engagement, Buy America, trade wars, and where U.S. positioning falls short, and we discuss the next decade. My takeaway is that, as exciting as the new ecosystem of players in digital manufacturing is, We do need strong public sector policy to drive regulation, which drives change, so the superpowers Dave Evans talks about, including supply chain predictability, can get evenly distributed. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode five on a renaissance of manufacturing, or episode 7 on the work of the future, Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast.